according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Tonight we are in Numbers chapter 32 and 33. Numbers 32 and 33, we're going to do a lot of map work tonight, and look at some... Uh, do some ge- uh, geographical studies, also do a Logos demonstration for how to uh, link your windows together and how to follow certain passages through certain research material and uh, have a good time with that. Numbers 32 and 33 uh, in Rhodes material, the Ron Rhodes devotional, he titles this Three Tribes Settle. Remember there's 12 tribes all together, but there are three in particular that uh, are trying uh, to get ahead of the game. They, uh, they've got some land uh, uh, in mind before the conquest itself even, and uh, so they're going to re- make that request here, and we'll see Moses' response to that. All right, so before we do get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father and His faithfulness to bless our time. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do come... Once again, before the throne of grace, so thankful, Father, that you are as faithful as you are. Father, we've, uh, we've done this 70 times already this year, 71 tonight, and we just uh, thank you for each and every time as renewed blessings, grace upon grace. So we thank you for the time in your word. We ask that you would honor and bless it as you always do. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so um, the tribes of Reuben and Gad request a land grant outside of the land of Canaan, east of Jordan. It starts off with those two tribes, and then uh, half of Manasseh will likewise join them, and we'll see that further down in in the chapter. So, um, yes, we left off with the Midianite War and the plunder and all that in chapter 31, and that brings us to chapter 32. Now, the sons of Reuben... The sons of Gad had an exceeding large number of livestock, so when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that it was indeed a place suitable for livestock, the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben came and spoke to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, and uh, we get their quote here starting in verse 3, uh, Ataroth, Dibon, or Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elalia, Sebam, Nebo, and Beon. Did I get it okay? I've been practicing. All right. These are the, the territories. These are the cities that had been conquered. The land which the Lord conquered before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. And we can imagine, of course, all the 12 tribes had various animals of all kinds of sorts. Of course, they had the sacrificial animals and then perhaps other clean animals that they were raising for food and and income and whatnot. But these tribes in particular specialized in livestock. And this was the land that they said, this is great land for this. And whatever the contrast is on the east side of the Jordan as opposed to the west side of the Jordan, um, we'll, we'll bring the maps up and show these things here shortly. Uh, in any event, they felt, based on their experience raising livestock for the last 40 years, that, uh, that this land where they presently are is the best they're going to find. And so they're putting the request in now that they, can, uh, that they might have this land. So they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. 
All right, and that's the request that doesn't sit well with Moses. And we're going to see his response here in a moment. He's got a big problem with, uh, with this request. All right, um, so that's what we see in point one in the notes. The tribes of uh, Reuben and Gad request a land grant outside of the land of Canaan, east of the Jordan. So Moses is going to rebuke them for the request, and he's going to warn them to learn from the example of their parents' failure. And I think we're going to read into it a little bit. We're going to see some of the details here of what Moses addresses in that rebuke. And that takes us from verse 6 down to, uh, to verse 15. But Moses said to the sons of Gad and to the sons of Reuben, shall your brothers go to war while you yourselves sit here? And Moses has a point, okay? Uh, they're all wrapped up about the land and settling and, you know, uh, raising their families and whatever else goes with, with daily life. Uh, Moses is re- reminding them uh, there's a war to fight, okay? Now they have completed the warfare already on the eastern side because they had the warfare with Sihon and Og and the warfare that we saw in the earlier chapters. But all of that was preparation. That was not conquest. They still have to cross the Jordan River, they still have to enter the land of Canaan, and there are seven nations waiting for their destruction, waiting for them to come and conquer in the land of Canaan. And, uh, and I think Moses is correct here when he says, uh, when he, yeah, I mean he says, shall your brothers go to war while you yourself sit here? It's not time to just sit there as civilians and raise your family, you've got to join us in this war goes on to say in verse 7, now why, do you discour- why are you discouraging the sons of Israel from crossing over into the land which the Lord has given them? And that makes sense, you know, because Moses remembers what happens 40 years ago. You know, he sent 12 spies into the land and 10 of those spies came back and brought a terrible report. And uh, so here they are again on the threshold and you imagine Moses uh, maybe a little bit nervous related to uh, public opinion at this time. So he says, you're discouraging them. This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the sons of Israel, so they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger burned in that day, and he swore, saying, none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, for they did not follow me fully. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have followed the Lord fully. A few more verses here, we get down to verse 15 in this point. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until the entire generation of those who had done evil in the sight of the Lord was destroyed. Now behold, you have risen up in your father's place, a brood of sinful men. Kind of reminds me of the, the brood of vipers language that Jesus used or John the Baptist used in, uh, in the Gospels. A brood of sinful men to add still more to the burning anger of the Lord against Israel. And you know, Moses, uh, you can imagine, he doesn't want another Kadesh Barnea. He doesn't want another national rebellion. He doesn't want another 40-year delay. I mean, Moses is 120 years old at this point. He's getting ready to die. For if you turn away from following him, he will once more abandon them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. So that's his rebuke and uh, letting them know that the request is not appropriate, that he's concerned, to say the least, related to the effect that this is going to have on the other tribes. 
Now what's interesting, and this is kind of a good pattern for us as well, we can learn a lot from this episode because they, they first of all, they, just, they came with a, with a request, nothing wrong with asking, right? Then they're told no, nothing wrong with being told no, okay? But now here's the thing, they realize that Moses has some of these concerns and they are hoping that they can alleviate those concerns in, uh, in, in, by offering the explanation that they offer. And so let's see how respectful this is. And then I'm hoping we can glean this and, and see that this is a positive example. This is not like what we saw with Balaam, where Balaam had his request and the Lord said, no, you can't curse these people. And then Balaam tries going back again later to say, well, you know, I'll see what else the Lord might have to say. That's pure rebellion on Balaam's part. When the answer is no and your motivation is different than what we see here. The motivation here is totally different than Balaam's motivation. All right, I think that's very clear. So let's see how the elders respond. And starting in verse 16, and this will get us down through verse 19. So they came near to him and said, We will build here sheepfolds for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the sons of Israel until we have brought them to their place, while our little ones live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes. So you see what he's saying here? They're not trying to avoid the war. They're not draft dodgers. They're not trying to avoid the conquest of Canaan whereby Israel has to go in and, and defeat seven nations greater and, and larger than themselves, including the giants that, the, that their parents saw when the spies were in the land. Because guess what? Those giants are still there. Forty years later, those same giants are still there. Anyway, we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the sons of Israel until we have brought them to their place, while our little ones live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. And I think that our versus them contrast is also interesting. I think that the 12 tribes definitely saw themselves as independent tribes, that uh, Reuben and Gad viewed themselves as Reuben and Gad, that even though they were all Israel, they were all Jewish, uh, they, they, nevertheless, they had an us versus them mindset with respect to the particular tribes. So we will not return to our homes until every one of the sons of Israel has possessed his inheritance. For we will not have an inheritance with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond because our inheritance has fallen to us on this side of the Jordan to the east. All right, so that's the response. And I listed this in point three in the outline. Moving the cursor to the left, you can see the black arrow move to the left. I'm reading from the left side. The elders of Reuben and Gad assured Moses that they are not evading the conquest of Canaan, but that they would like to return to the Transjordan after the conquest is complete. All right, and this is probably the point where it's probably worthwhile to, uh, to bring some maps up and to see what we're looking at there. And of course, you're going to have uh, maps in the back of your Bibles. You're going to have maps in different places. Uh, let me just bring up here the land of Jazer. There's the first land that I spot there. And I think if I right-click Reuben, we're going to have Reubenites as a person, Reubenites the conquest, but we're not going to have land. I want to make sure I'm picking out a land like the land of Gilead or the land of Jazer. 
just make sure when you're right-clicking that you, you're right-clicking what you want to be right-clicking. In this case, a place. And so when you pick on the place, then you can open up your atlas. And when you open up your atlas, you're going to have the land of Gilead. You're going to see Gilead listed there. And so this will allow you to uh, to zoom in. Also, by the way, um, you're going to have a, a panel on the left. I usually keep it open. Sometimes if you want to toggle it open and close, you can. That's easy enough to toggle it open and close. But on the left, you're going to have a listing of every map that includes the one that you're studying at the moment. So in this case, we're studying Gilead the region. You see Gilead the region up there. And then these are all the, the various acts or the various maps that apply with Gilead. And so I'm going to take this one here, the final acts of Moses. And so we can zoom in on these flags, on these markers, and we can see the uh, the territory that we're talking about here. We're talking about beyond the Jordan, on the east side of the Jordan. The Jordan River is this, is this uh, north and south running river here, and we're talking about this region over here. Where Reuben and Gad, they want to, they want to, they want to live there. They want that to be their territory. They don't want to have a, a land grant uh, in the in the land of Canaan to the west. So that's what we're looking at. All right. Now we had the request. We had Moses' angry answer and the accusations of of trying to avoid the war and, and other things. You're going to discourage the people, just like the spies did 40 years ago. So the request. The answer is no, and Moses' angry response and the rebuke. But then we have the clarification. Is that, is that a fair statement? So they're responding to the rebuke with a clarification. And that's very humble, very respectful, very appropriate. Uh, just letting Moses know that what he was concerned about is not the case. He doesn't have to be concerned about them striking fear into the fellow tribes or that they're willing to go to war, they're ready to go to war. And it's, it's very much, it's, I think it's, it's a pattern that we would have like in the book of Daniel when, when uh, they were told to eat the, eat the meat and, and, and Daniel and his friends very respectfully said, you know, we want to eat vegetables and try us out and see if this is agreeable to you and so forth. All right, so now Moses will agree to their terms. He responds favorably to their clarification, okay? Not their whining and asking over and over again, right? This is just a clarification and a a consideration. Would you reconsider based upon this clarification? And he does reconsider based upon their clarification. So uh, starting in verse 20, Moses agrees to their terms and he warns them against defrauding the Lord. So we read that here. Moses said to them, if you will do this, if you will arm yourselves before the Lord for the war, and all of you armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven his enemies out from before him, and all the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you shall return and be free of obligation toward the Lord and toward Israel, and this land shall be yours for a possession before the Lord. So if they do the war, then they can return here after the war. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out, okay? That's an interesting phrase right there, and it's, it shows up in some hymns and some other gospel quartet music in, in ways that I don't like. I don't like the way it shows up in some of those gospel hymns. 
um, because it's totally out of context from this passage. And uh, yes, it's a biblical phrase, but not in the usage that some of those uh, gospel quartet pieces try to use it. Anyway, build yourself cities for your little ones and sheep folds for your sheep and do what you have promised. And uh, so this is what they're going to do. And uh, the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben spoke to Moses saying, uh, your servants will do just as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our livestock, and all our cattle shall remain there in the cities of Gilead while your servants, everyone who is armed for war, will cross over in the presence of the Lord to battle just as my Lord says. Okay? Do you notice these words Gilead are still highlighted? Can you spot that on the screen? Do you know why they're highlighted like that? They're highlighted like that because earlier in the chapter, that's the word we clicked on when we pulled up the map. And so that word is still clicked. That word is still highlighted. That word is still selected. And um, one of the things the, the software does is while you have a word selected like that, it goes ahead and highlights every other place that that word shows up in the immediate context. And it helps you spot, for example, if there's an expression that has a, you know, a, a large number of usages or has a preponderance of, of cases in a short stretch, it's really visually easy to spot uh, on that basis. So yeah, every time we see the word Gilead here, it's going to be colored blue until we click something else. All right. Where did I leave off? All right. So verse 31, the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben answered saying, as the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. We will cross over armed to the presence of the Lord in the land of Canaan. The possession of our inheritance shall remain with us across the Jordan. So Moses gave to them, to the sons of Gad and to the sons of Reuben, also for the first time in mentioned in this, in this chapter, to the half-tribe of Joseph's son Manasseh. Okay, we didn't realize in the reading all along that while these two tribes had representatives there making this request, that there were also amongst them uh, some, some clan leadership uh, representing roughly half of the clans of the, uh, the tribe of Manasseh as well. They weren't outspoken, they weren't part of the, the negotiations back and forth, but they were present in, the, uh, in this event. So uh, the sons of Gad, the sons of Reuben, and the half-tribe of Joseph's son Manasseh, and the land they get is the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, and the land with its cities, with their territories, the cities of the surrounding land. All right, so I've already gone past where I've read on the left. Moses agrees to their terms and warns them against defrauding the Lord. That's verses 20 through 32. And then finally, um, with verse 33 and following, Reuben, Gad, and half Manasseh established their territories and cities east of the Jordan. That is a, a unique feature of the division of the land. Of all the tribes, most of the tribes had their territories fairly well self-contained, fairly well cohesive. Uh, Manasseh is the exception because half of their clans stayed uh, to, to take a land grant east and half of their clans uh, would take a land grant west. And so sometimes it gets marked that way on various maps. West Manasseh, East Manasseh, things like that. Um, I think other, for the most part, other tribes are pretty well concise except for Dan had issues conquering the land they first were given. And so they ended up relocating themselves to a 
a separate territory further north. We'll talk about that when we get to Joshua and Judges and the, uh, the studies there. So, Reuben, Gad, and half Manasseh established their territories and cities east of the Jordan. And that's what gets described here in verses 33 through 42. Uh, Gad built eight cities in verses 34 through 36. And they're hard to pronounce, but I'll try. <laughs> oh, they're not too bad. Dibbon, Adaroth, Aror, uh, Atroth, Shofan, and uh, Jazer, and Jogbaha, Ben, Beth, Nimrah, Beth Haran as fortified cities and sheepfolds for sheep. Now it is curious to me, and maybe Glenn, I don't know, it's, how long does it take to build a city? I mean, how long are they doing this to just get it prepped for their wives and kids to, to be left behind? And, and we assume a, a, a select detachment of men-at-arms to, uh, to watch over. You know, they're taking the bulk of their army for the war, but they, they still have to have shepherds and other uh, herdsmen that... Uh, to watch over the wives and the kids while they're at war. Anyway, then so they build these cities. Most of these are going to be built upon the ruins of the cities that they destroyed, so there's already some kind of infrastructure in place related to building material and whatnot. So Gad built eight cities. Reuben built six cities in verses 37 and 38, presumably at the same time that all this construction was simultaneous. The sons of Reuben built Heshbon and Elielah, and Kiriathayim, and Nebo, and Baal-Mion, their names being changed, and Sibmah, and they gave other names to the cities which they built. Again, if it was on a location of an earlier city, it already has a name, but it's probably not appropriate, so give it a new name. Give it a name that's not so pagan, or a name that's related to your culture, to your language, and based upon whatever it is you want to do. Then uh, three clans of Manasseh will establish their possession as well. So uh, we read about them here in verses 39 through 42. The sons of Machir, the son of Manasseh, went to Gilead and took it and dispossessed the Amorites who were in it. So Moses gave Gilead to Machir, the son of Manasseh, and he lived in it. So there's the first reference. And then Jer, the son of Manasseh, went and took its towns and uh, called them Havoth Jer, the villages of Jer. That makes sense. You know, I would do the same thing. If I was conquering a land, I would, you know, this would be Bob, the, you know, the, the villages of Bob and the land of Bob and whatever else. So that's the, the towns of, of Jer that are called Havoth Jer. And then Noba, there's the third clan. Noba went and took Kinoth and its villages and called it Noba after his own name. That's what I would do. Okay? I mean, seriously. I conquered it, right? Name it after me. So that's uh, what we have there. All right. And now, just to demonstrate, when I click off of it, now that sympathetic highlighting is gone. All the Gileads are no longer highlighted because clicked off of it. And now we have uh, now we have a clean slate on that chapter. All right, well that gets us now to chapter 33, a 49 verse chapter. Most of chapter 33 is a travelogue. It's a travelogue of Israel's exodus and wilderness wanderings, and it really is a synopsis. It's a kind of a hindsight. This is Moses' reflections of 40 plus years of everything since they left Ramses, of, of that night of the first Passover when they left uh, Egypt, passed through the Red Sea, and everything that's brought them up to the, the current time. So it's a travelogue of Israel's exodus and wilderness wanderings. 
And essentially, that's verse 1 through verse 49. This chapter is actually an excellent opportunity to demonstrate the uh, the Faith Life Study Bible, uh, also to demonstrate a couple of other features of the software, and then to read through and to get some of the details maybe uh, that Moses chose to highlight in this chapter. This is one of the most commented upon chapters ever because it's so succinct as, as giving a a, uh, a travelogue, giving an itinerary of their journeys, and it's also got a lot of problems. It's got a lot of arguments. It's got a lot of because as you work your way through, you're going to spot um, divergent details with things maybe that are presented in Exodus or presented in uh, yeah mostly Exodus. Um, there's very little narrative in, in Leviticus to worry about, but earlier chapters of, of Numbers as well perhaps we'll start to notice, um, I'm not saying contradictions, I'm saying divergent details, okay? Because all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable, and every verse is true. God's not a liar, and we don't fall into the either-or trap that says, well, if this verse is true, then that verse has to be false. No. Every verse is true, and we harmonize and reconcile every true statement that God makes in in His Word. Remember, God cannot lie. So, uh, let's get a few verses into this and you'll see uh, the, the tone, the tenor of this chapter, and then we'll demonstrate some of the benefits that you can have by opening up either a commentary or, I think preferable for something like this, actually re- opening up a study Bible. Particularly if it's a study Bible that's quite um, uh, comprehensive in, uh, in, in a verse-by-verse kind of way, which the Faith Life Study Bible is, at least here in this chapter. So, These are the journeys of the sons of Israel by which they came out from the land of Egypt by their armies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses recorded their starting places according to their journeys by the commandment of the Lord, and these are the journeys according to their starting places. Again, we have uh, time and time again, we have statements that Moses writes. Moses is literate, right? Moses kept written records. And so if you ever encounter these liberals, these theological liberals that don't believe Moses wrote the Pentateuch, uh, there are literally dozens of places whereby God is commanding Moses to write or whereby Moses, we're told, does the writing that he is capable of writing. He was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. And uh, the whole idea that the, the, uh, it was the, the liberal Germans in the 1800s and uh, still to this day, I have to work hard to stay in fellowship when I talk about them, when I talk about uh, the damage they did to Christianity and biblical studies in any event. Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses wrote Psalm 90. Moses wrote a lot of other things that weren't canonized, and uh, including this travel log that gets recorded for us here in Numbers 33. All right. Moses recorded their starting places according to their journeys by the command of the Lord. And these are their journeys according to their starting places. So he's putting the camps, the starting places, as each leg set out in the journey. So they journeyed from Ramses in the first month, on the 15th day of the first month. On the next day after the Passover, the sons of Israel started out boldly in the sight of all the Egyptians. And we're familiar with that because we read that. That was part of what we read in, in, uh, back in Exodus chapter 12. We had the Passover event and then we had the, uh, the, uh, the narrative of their setting forth. While the Egyptians were bearing all their firstborn whom the Lord had struck down among them. Remember that Passover the night before and the firstborn children were dead. 
then the Lord also executed judgments on their gods. And I mentioned that a little bit, that those plagues of the, of the land of Egypt, um, like on the Nile River and the frogs and the lice and the sun, so many of those things were representations of the Egyptian uh, religion, the Egyptian mythology, their pantheon. Then the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses and camped in Sukkoth. Then they journeyed from Sukkoth and camped in Etham, which is on the edge of the wilderness. All right, now this is where we need to kind of put it in, in parallel and maybe have a map side by side with the text that we're reading and try to try to track it out, okay? We also can benefit by having a, uh, a, a, uh, a Bible dictionary open or a study Bible that's open, okay? And there are some that are better than others. So let me go ahead and open up and show you a couple of ways that you can do this. Um, clicking on the library and looking for either Faith Life Study Bible or you can just abbreviate FSB. When you abbreviate FSB, it comes up as the Faith Life Study Bible. And where you're going to have three options there, I'm just going to take the top one. The second one is just the collection of photos and then the third one is an infographic let me just go with that one, the Faith Life Study Bible. And make it large enough to read for tonight. You have pretty standard um, shortcuts for this, like typical for, for Windows, the Control Plus or the Control Minus for larger and smaller. Uh, it's, it's like any Windows application or, or website or web browser, things like that. You can also select your hamburger icon there and if you can use this slider up top here to make larger or smaller as well. I usually do keyboard shortcuts. All right, so now I have the Faith Life Study Bible open on the left and I have the New American Standard Bible open on the right and, and now we can just simply read through and we can see the Study Bible notes that are in there and these are excellent. I, I've, I've, I've been disappointed a handful of times but I've uh, been pleased much more frequently than I've been disappointed uh, every time I've checked this, this uh, Study Bible. So um, one more thing before I forget, let's go ahead and link it Take the study Bible and make it link set. You can pick any one, I don't care. You have a, we could do A because it's the first one. It's the only one we're going to do tonight. Or you can do B if that happens to be your, your lucky special letter. I like the letter B for some reason. All right. It doesn't matter what letter you pick just so long as you make them the same. If you make them the same, then they will follow. When you scroll from one, the other one will follow. Okay? All right. So, um, as they journey from Ramses in the first month, and so you have the notes in the Faith Life Study Bible related to the city of Ramses, identified as one of the two store cities built by the Israelites in Exodus 1.11. Now, I recommend... If you want to look that up, don't click, just hover. Just hover the mouse over it. Don't click it. Just hover the mouse over it. And then the little pop-up will be there and you can read it right there and then move the mouse away and you're good. Okay? Because what's going to happen if you click it? What's going to happen if you click it, it's going to send your Bible to Exodus 1.11. And then when you sent your Bible to Exodus 1.11, what did the, the Faith Life Study Bible do? It followed to Exodus 1.11. Because remember, you linked them together with link set B. 
And so, I mean, you can do that, but then you have to do the back, you know, the, the back arrow like that to return back to Numbers 33.3. And that's just, I don't know, is that a hassle? Doing the back arrow? I think it's a hassle to do the back arrow. So I would much rather just come along here, do the hover, read the verse. Oh yeah, the storage cities. Pithom and Ramses, I remember that. And then move the move the cursor away before you accidentally click and uh, you know take your finger off the trigger. Move the cursor slightly away before you accidentally click. And then you can read the rest of it. The city was located in the area of the modern village of Kantir in the northwestern, northeastern, I'm sorry, northeastern delta of the Nile. See note on Genesis 47:11 and compare Exodus 12. 37. So uh, that's a pretty decent study Bible entry, I think, for uh, a verse like uh, Numbers 33.3 where it's highlighting there the, the, uh, the city of Ramses, which was the name that it obtained later. It didn't get that name until the 1200s BC. It didn't get that name until later. And that's part of the anachronistic use of names that uh, that we don't have a problem with, but the liberals seem to think it's proof that it couldn't have, that they couldn't have had the Exodus until the 18th dynasty because of the name Ramses. Um, in any event, we've talked about that before. The the use of anachronistic names because uh, these manuscripts got copied for centuries. They got copied and they got updated and spelling got updated and towns got updated and, and later names got substituted for earlier names in the process of, of transmitting the, the canon to later generations. No problems there at all. All right. So then you see the notes there on the next day after the Passover and uh, the punishment of their gods. The ten plagues are often interpreted as conflicts between Yahweh and the various gods of Egypt who cannot protect against his power. Discussed that briefly when we were dealing with those plagues. Alright, then we get to verse 5. And you notice it doesn't matter which, if we scroll left or right, the other window is, is going to follow. So there's Sukkoth, camped in Sukkoth, as recorded in Exodus twelve thirty seven. And they journeyed from Sukkoth and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. That's as recorded in Exodus 30, uh, 13.20. They journeyed from Etham and they turned back to, pa, to Pi-Hahiroth, which faces Baal-Zephon, and they camped before Megdal. Interesting notes here. The direction Israel turned is unknown. It depends on which end of the canal uh, Pi-Hahiroth Israel found itself. Uh, Pi Haharoth, as recorded in Exodus 14, 2 and 9, uh, Pi Haharoth means the mouth of the canal. That makes sense. Verse 8, they journeyed from before Haharoth and passed through the midst of the sea in the wilderness, and they went three days' journey in the wilderness of Etham and camped at Marah. So they went through the midst of the sea as recorded in Exodus 13, Exodus 14. Of course we read that Red Sea episode. And uh, the desert of Etham as recorded in Exodus 13, Exodus 15. A journey of three days. This is the only time the itinerary provides information about how long a stage of the journey lasted. Uh, and that's, that's kind of significant because it, there's a lot of guesswork involved when they're trying to track this and trying to plot this on maps today and a lot of guesswork involved, a lot of arguments among archaeologists and scholars uh, trying to identify these camps. And so, 
you know, we have it on a map, and we can have Haharoth on a map, and we can have uh, Mara on a map, and Elam on a map. Mara the place, pull it up in the atlas. Okay? And you say, it must be there. Why? Because that's where they, they drew it on my map. That's right. That's where some 20th century map maker drew it on a map. That's not God-breathed and inspired. Okay? This is a scholar's estimate. This is an archaeologist's opinion. And uh, for every opinion that for every yeah, for every opinion that a map maker selects are nine other opinions that the map maker chose to not select. Okay? And so this is the traditional spot because they're attempting to take uh, Israel down here to the traditional Mount Sinai. Okay? And since this is the place they've selected for the traditional Mount Sinai, then what have they done? These map makers? They've plotted these other places along the way. Because it makes sense. We're trying to get them down to that spot. As opposed to, I think, the much more likely candidate is this Jebel Sin Bisher. And uh, maybe someday when we bring Titus back and to, to, to do an archaeology thing for us, um, he can explain why he believes that, that uh, Jebel Sin Bisher is his best um, candidate presently for the uh, Mount Sinai location. Anyway, and, and, and if any of these archaeologists are humble enough, like Titus is, that they will be very clear to say, my present view is, and they're willing to adjust it down the road if more information comes to light, if better arguments are presented, if there's a defeat or if there's something that just absolutely rules it out. And, uh, you know, they'll say, this is my leading candidate. Here's my second candidate. Here's my third candidate. And they prioritize them based on the various reasons that they do. All right. So, Elam. They journeyed from Mara and they came to Elam. And in Elam there were twelve springs of water and they and seventy palm trees and they camped there. Well, that makes sense. It's uh, also if you, um, I typically will use the the scroll, the 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 wheel in the mouse to do my scrolling, and and sometimes that's useful and sometimes it scrolls too far. Story of my life, I go too far. Um, so another thing you can do is up here on the navigation toolbar, you can click the up and down arrows. And right now I have it select to verses, and that's probably the handiest. So where you can just click one verse at a time, one verse at a time, one verse at a time. If you ever get tired of clicking by verses, you can change it to chapter, you can change it to book, you can change it to article, what have you. You can, you can click book by book by book by book if you want. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. If, if that's how you like to click, then do it. You know, Knock yourself out. I'm going to leave it on verses, and we'll click one verse at a time. In Elam, there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, another location that served as a source for water and food. The symbolic significance of the numbers 12 and 70 suggests that this description is a literary expression describing miraculous abundance in a parched land. Well, that's their opinion. Um, some study Bibles are going to be more literal, some are going to be more um, some will tend to view things as figurative far more frequently than, than I'm willing to do so just be aware of your text what you're reading and what their biases are 
They journeyed from Elam and they camped by the Red Sea, that is alongside of the Red Sea. Remember they've already come through the Red Sea. They only cross it once. And uh, honest enough to admit that it's unclear what the reference is to the sea that's here. The wilderness of sin, I've highlighted several times, S-I-N is not Z-I-N. Sin and Zin are different wildernesses, different Hebrew spellings. The desert of sin is recorded in Exodus 16. Manna appeared in this wilderness as uh, we studied in Exodus 16 verses 14 and 15. Also, um, you'll notice little icons here. You can click on that if you want to read a, a Oh, there we go. Biblical places, maps for the wilderness of sin. So that'll open up a map for you. And I forget what this little icon is. Nothing, apparently. All right. They journeyed from the wilderness of sin and they camped at Dafka. Dafka. Well, that's curious. You ever read about Dafka before? I don't remember that when we were reading Exodus. Did I just miss that? Was I, was I reading too quickly? Seems like I read it. Dafka. It says location unknown. If I want to search for the place Dafka, show me everywhere in the Bible that the place Dafka is mentioned. Numbers 33.22 and Numbers 33, uh, these two verses right here, verse 12 and verse 13. Those are the only places anywhere in the Bible that Dafka is mentioned. So I'm not losing my mind. We didn't read about this in the book of Exodus. It's not mentioned in the book of Exodus. When Moses was writing Exodus, Moses was not led by the Holy Spirit to record Dafka. Are you heartbroken? I'm not. Evidently it was boring. Evidently nothing happened there that was worth writing in the book of Exodus. I'm cool with that. But now the purpose in Numbers 33 is a travelogue. He's giving the detailed account. He's giving details that weren't given in Exodus. And I'm cool with that too. I think that's kind of neat. That we're getting a more comprehensive um, development. In fact, I would like it better if he gave us the day's journey for each leg like he did on that one leg where we knew it was a three days journey. Great. What was the next leg? What was the leg after that? What was the leg after that? He doesn't give us the day's journey for any of those other legs as much as we might want them. So they journeyed from Dafkan. They camped at Alush, location unknown. They journeyed from Alush and camped at Rafidim. Now it was there that the people had no water to drink. And you might remember this Rafidim episode. It is recorded in Exodus 17.1. And the Faith Life Study Bible reminds us of that. Sometimes too, um, the New American Standard Bible is very good. They put these cross-references in there. Exodus 17.1, same thing that the Study Bible tells you. So that's pretty good. Again, you can right-click the location and say Rephidim as a place. Where else in the Bible is Rephidim mentioned? Every use of Rephidim is right there. Seven places that Rephidim shows up in the Bible. And you'll notice there Exodus 17, Exodus 19, Numbers 33. The, the uh, places we're studying tonight. It was there the people had no water to drink. 
All right, so they journeyed from Rephidim and they camped in the wilderness of Sinai. The desert of Sinai designates an area near Mount Sinai, but the exact location of the mountain itself is unknown. So yeah, if you have a wilderness area and it's named after a mountain, well that kind of depends on which mountain we decide is the, is, is the mountain. So uh, compare Exodus 3, Exodus 19, Numbers 1. The events of Exodus 19 to Numbers 10 take place in this wilderness. So wherever you decide this wilderness is, that's uh, where they're going to spend the time from Exodus 19 to Numbers 10. Over a year. Okay? They're going to camp there. They're going to be wandering that wilderness. They're, when they get to the mountain, they receive the law. They, uh, they build the tabernacle. It takes a year before they set out again from, uh, from that mountain. All right, they journeyed from the wilderness of Sinai and camped at Kibroth Hatava, as recorded in Numbers chapter 11, verses 34 through 35. So we, we've advanced quite a bit in time, haven't we? When we by the time we get to Kibroth Hatava, then we get to another location unknown, Hazaroth, exact location unknown, although it must be somewhere between the wilderness of Sinai and the wilderness of Paran. Then we get to verses 18 and following. They journeyed from Hazaroth and camped at Rithmah. And then this chain of places here. I want to read this note before we get much further. There is a narrative gap of 38 years in the book of Numbers. From the time the people are told they will not enter the promised land, that's the judgment of of Kadesh Barnea in uh, Numbers 14, until a full 40 years has come to fruition in Numbers 20. I highlighted that the other night when we saw the death of Aaron, or the death of Miriam, and then the death of Aaron. Said, you realize by the time we hit chapter 20, we're already full scale into the next generation. We have, we have spanned that 40 year gap. Therefore, none of the legs of the journey found in verses 18 through 34 appear elsewhere in Old Testament descriptions of Israel's journey. The exact locations of these sites are unknown and most do not appear in written or archaeological records. This issue is complicated by the fact that Israel renamed locations as it moved throughout the region. And so, you know, if you're looking for Egyptian records for what the Egyptians called these places or what the, the Amorites called these places or what the Philistines called these places or, or what have you, the fact that we're getting all new names is going to uh, confuse things even more. So Hazaroth, Rimnath, Rimrum, Perez, Libna, Risa, all these places. All right. By the time we get here, we have uh, greater certainty. So they journeyed from Abronah and they camped at Ezion Geber. Aha! Here's the place we know. Ezion Geber. Finally. I'm familiar with this. A location on the Gulf of Aqaba near ancient Elath. So um, we've talked about this also. Let me go ahead and fly this one out. Control F11 will float your window. That way it's just a free floating window. So the Sinai Peninsula here is noteworthy for the fact that it's easy to spot on a map. It, it looks like a breakfast scone and it, 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 floats, it just floats there. It's pointy end is down. And in the, uh, 
it, it, it divides the Red Sea between the main part of the Red Sea, the Gulf of Suez to the west, the Gulf of, of Aqaba to the east. And so this region here, the tip of this is where you reach Ezean Geber. Okay? It's at the north end of that eastern gulf. The location on the Gulf of Aqaba near ancient Elath. 1 Kings 9.26, Solomon built a fleet of ships in Ezean Geber, which is near Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. Okay? Both of those branches, the western and eastern gulf, right? the Gulf of Suez, the Gulf of Aqaba, they are still considered Red Sea. So if Solomon uh, builds a, a port here and, and a, a fleet of ships, if that's the naval headquarters for, the, for Solomon's Red Sea fleet, we're not surprised. It's considered to be the Red Sea. Yeah. Right, you have Jordan and you have Israel and right. All right. The biblical site of Ezion Geber was initially associated with Tel El Khalife at modern Eilat, Israel, but the site may also be beneath modern Aqaba, Jordan, just a few kilometers away. And as Glenn mentioned, you can you can see them one from the other, they're that close. And there's a border crossing there. In more recent years, it's been able to cross there. All right, so they journeyed from Ezin Geber and camped in the wilderness of Zin, that is Kadesh. And uh, here Kadesh is the end of the itinerary, suggesting Israel arrived there near the end of their period of wilderness wandering. The next stop is accompanied by the note that they were in the 40th year. In contrast, Kadesh does not appear near the end of the journey in the itinerary in Deuteronomy 2. And so there's reconciliation that takes place here. Is how many times did they get to Kadesh? And uh, be, beyond, the, of course, the first rejection episode, how many times did they return there in the, you know, did they just wander in circles? Were they doing laps? Uh, we don't know those kind of details. We have the itinerary here, but much of the itinerary here is obscure because we don't know these specific locations. But um, Kadesh is not mentioned in any of those until they get here in verses uh, 36 and 37. Camped at Mount Hor, that's where Aaron's going to die, at the edge of the land of Edom. Then Aaron the priest went up to Mount Hor at the command of the Lord and died there in the 40th year after the sons of Israel had come from the land of Egypt on the first day of the fifth month. So now we got a lot more specificity. In fact, this is more specificity than we had in, in uh, chapter 20 when we had the, uh, the actual event described there. Uh, more arguments as far as Mount Hor, because at least two or three possible Mount Hor candidates. All right. So Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Hor. Now we finally have a clue, the age gap between Aaron and Moses, right? Because uh, we knew that Miriam was older. She was the sister that was running along the riverbank when Moses was the baby floating down, the, floating down the, the Nile River. So we know that Miriam was older. We were guessing that Aaron was also older. We didn't know how old, right? But now we have specifically the... Uh, the age at his death, 123. 
Now the Canaanite king of Arad who lived in the Negev in the land of Canaan heard of the coming of the sons of Israel. This was a narrative that we studied in, in Numbers chapter 21. It gets restated here as a part of the itinerary summary. So they journeyed from Mount Hor and camped in Zalmanah. They journeyed from Zalmanah and camped at Punon. Journey from Punon and camped at Oboth. Now Oboth was recorded in uh, Numbers 21, but I don't remember Zalmanah or Punon being mentioned, but they're mentioned here. Journey from Oboth and camped at, um, well, this is a tough place to pronounce, Ea-Baram on the border of Moab. Two words, Ea and Abaram, recorded in chapter 21. Yeah, I remember it as one word. All right. Journeyed from Debon Gad and camped at Almon Diblathayim. Journeyed from Almon Diblathayim, camped at the mountains of Abaram before Nebo. Journeyed from the mountains of Abaram and camped in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho. And uh, camped by the Jordan from Beth Jeshemoth as far as Abel Shittim in the plains of Moab. All right, and that gets us all the way down to verse 49. Now, some of these details as well. First of all, does any of this strike you as myth? Does any of this strike you as um, allegory or myth or storytelling or anything other than literal? No, this, this is so tedious that it has to be literal. This is so detailed and tedious and precise and there's no reason for all of this, this nitty-gritty if it's not real, if it's not the literal travelogue that Moses was keeping when he was tracking their marches, when he was tracking their camps, when he was keeping a written record, I think it's a marvelous blessing that the Lord has put into our Bible so that we have reinforced the principles of the literal hermeneutic and the, the, the method of, of interpretation that we have, how we handle Scripture the way that we do. Passages like this, I think, are essential that uh, we take these with a literal, grammatical, historical interpretation of Scripture. All right. There is a note here, I'll do like this, uh, connected to verse 45, Dibon Gad. Uh, the inclusion of the name Gad in the place name anticipates how Dibon comes to be occupied by the tribe of Gad. Since the places in verses 42 through 49 are associated with the Transjordan, that's the east of the Jordan, the inclusion of the name here in the itinerary makes sense. Also in verse 47, the mention here of Abaram was recorded in chapter 27, perhaps close to or associated with a mountain, uh, that's the Nebo location, the mountain where Moses is going to pass away. We'll see that in chapter 34. We'll see that in Deuteronomy 34. Moses dies at the end of Deuteronomy. The Jordan across from Jericho. Beth Jeshemoth, likely located roughly 12 miles southeast of Jericho near the Dead Sea. And there is an article there if you want to pull that up. Biblical places, maps. All right, we'll let that go. Abel Shittim, 1st century AD Jewish historian Josephus, places this location about 5 miles from the Jordan, 7 miles from the Dead Sea. 
It is called Shittim in Numbers 25.1. While Israel remained at Shittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. And that's the study we had the other night as well when Balaam was counseling them to commit harlotry. All right, well, that gets us through the travelogue. We still have verses remaining in the chapter, verses 50 and following. What I gave you in my notes, the conclusion to the chapter is the Lord's solemn warning to utterly destroy the Canaanites, and that's verses 50 through 56. And some of what we discussed last night as well, we may struggle with some of these descriptions. Um, Our culture does not massacre women and children. Our culture, uh, our military doctrine uh, is we fight the combatants and we, we operate under G- uh, Geneva Convention uh, expectations. And this is modern warfare that our culture has accepted. Ancient warfare didn't have the Geneva Convention didn't, and, and freely either enslaved or executed the women and children. And that was the feature of ancient warfare. Okay? That's how the world operated Now, um, so the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho saying, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you cross over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out. Again, the phrase is drive out. It's not an ordered genocide. They're not required to kill everybody. If they flee, they flee. Let them go. They, they may flee. They can, they can become exiles wherever. They can flee to Egypt. They can flee to Syria. They can flee to Turkey. They can flee wherever they can flee to. But they can't stay there. They can't stay in the promised land because it's no longer their land. The, the land is vomiting the inhabitants. So drive them out, all the inhabitants of the land from before you, and destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their molten images and demolish all their high places. So every trace of their demonic idolatry has to be uh, obliterated. And you shall take possession. You shall take possession of the land and live in it. I have given the land to you to possess it. So there, there, there is a difference between a people group that has a land and a people group that does not have a land. The, the stateless people groups, the, um, the, uh, uh, wanderers, okay? The Bible talks about them. They sojourn in lands that are not theirs. This now is Israel's land. God is giving it to them to possess it. You shall inherit the land by lot according to your families. To the larger you shall give more, to the smaller you shall give less. This is the inheritance of the tribes as their land grants are uh, delegated. Wherever the lot falls to anyone, that shall be his. You shall inherit according to the tribe's of your fathers. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants, okay, here's the warning that he gives in 55 and 56. Pay attention, okay, spoiler alert, they don't. They don't drive out the inhabitants. The the conquest under Joshua is incomplete and they pay the price for that in the book of Judges. Okay, and really for ever after. They they pay the price for that uh, in Judges and following. So, If you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come about that those whom you let remain, you let them remain there. 
Those whom you let remain will become as pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they will trouble you in the land in which you live. It's going to be a problem again and again and again and again. And as I plan to do to them, so I will also do to you. Okay, If you copy their ways, then you're going to come under God's dealings with you just like His dealings were with them. It's, it's called judgment, divine discipline for a godless nation that pursues idolatry. Alright, the Faith Life Study Bible says just as I plan to do to them, what is meant by this is not clear, although it is certainly foreboding. I think it's very clear. <laughs> okay? And it is foreboding. Alright, well that gets us through the end of 33. So we did. We succeeded. We covered uh, 32 and 33. We have our next uh, episode coming up in chapter 34. And this will be on Sunday, day 72, where we will cover chapters 34, 35, and 36. Okay, And that finishes the book of Numbers. So that's how close we are. We're going to finish the book of Numbers at the 9.30 hour on Sunday and then at the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday we'll be introducing the book of Deuteronomy which is Moses' five farewell messages. Okay? If you ever do the Ralph Braun uh, walk through Deuteronomy is five farewell messages. So stay tuned for that. Heavenly Father I thank you for tonight. I thank you for these brothers and sisters that have come together. And um, it's, it's a tedious chapter. There's a lot of details, a lot of names that are hard to pronounce. But you put these in here for a reason, Father, and all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. And I'm thankful that we have both of these chapters with this travel log and all the detail that we glean here. So, Father, thank you for the blessings we have to study and showing ourselves approved. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.